pull the players all week. It's going to be tough. It's one of the great environments in all of college football. It's going to be hard. Just keep swinging and just get this thing to the fourth quarter, and let's go find a way to win it in the fourth quarter. And when you go out on offense in the third quarter and go turnover, 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 and what, three plays, four plays, four plays. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Uh, actually, my, my state semifinal game was my senior year in high school. We fought the ball the first two times. We touched the one kickoff return and the first play of offense uh, to start the game. But to go four plays and three turnovers, completely unacceptable. There, Florida leads the SEC in turnover margin. You see why. We're last in the SEC and turning the ball over, and you saw why tonight. Um, so we've obviously got to be a whole lot better at ball security and protecting the football. Because All right. Welcome back into the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan, and we're going to do our best to <laughs> break down the 38-6 loss by South Carolina in the Swamp on Saturday afternoon. It was not pretty. Um, we generally try to take some positives away. Uh, there are a couple, but not many. Um, and in the rapid reaction, like so many things went wrong that I was able to write four solid paragraphs of negativity without even <laughs> mentioning the offense very much. Um, although I'm sure we will mention the offense today. So, yeah, uh, Alan, you were there in Gainesville. What's your overall takes? Um, I, let's, I mean, how was the stadium? Did you have a good time? Was <laughs> I had a good week. I mean, Gainesville itself as a college town is kind of mad compared to, you know, Columbia or Athens or Lexington or some of the other ones I've been to in my life. But that's a cool environment. Um, the Tom Petty thing lives up to the hype. That's pretty cool in person. Um, and obviously – Florida fans were in a good mood all day, which we're going to get to in a second. But it was a, it's a good environment. If you get a chance to see South Carolina, I guess they won't be back there for two years. But if anyone out there gets a chance to see South Carolina there, that, that's a fun place to watch a college football game. Yeah. So we get into the game. Uh, it pretty much went wrong from the start. We've talked throughout the season. We it, It's it's kind of funny. Um, I feel like a lot of our points are getting a little bit retread, but it's also like this team kind of is what it is at this point. And so something that we've talked about throughout the season is the slow starts, the first to the fast starts. It's been almost bipolar in the wins. They've gotten off to fast starts for the most part. Uh, you know, you can think of like Georgia state or something where they kind of just pieced it together, but for the most part, they've gotten off to fast starts in their wins and they've gotten off to abysmally slow starts in their losses. Um, I wrote this in the, um, breakdown, but basically you think about Arkansas, they went down 21 to three in the first half, Georgia, they went down 24 to nothing in the first half and Missouri, they went down 17 to nothing in the first half. And then on Saturday, they went down 24 to nothing before that. And that was, they went, they were down 24 to nothing before they finally got past 40 yards of total offense, um, let alone a scoring drive. So that is pretty pretty rough uh start at the game florida went down the field scored three straight touchdowns and a field goal on the fourth drive before anything really got going um so yeah maybe we start there i, I have to yeah i uh am happy to talk about the offense here in a minute but honestly the defense and this is something i wrote about this weekend like it's been interesting the past four weeks now they're just giving up these massive starts in the first half i, I believe you brought up a stat uh, during the game on the total yardage in the first half. Uh, let's see, here it is. 20, 254 yards before halftime against Mizzou, 260 yards before halftime against Vandy, and then 362 yards before halftime 
against Florida. Now, in all of those games, they kind of settled in in the second half, and the defense played much better. But um, game and, was and over. That's something, yeah, game was over. Um, that's something that I, I wrote a little bit about. Is like Clayton White has proven over his uh, career here, at least, and really in general, uh, that he can make halftime adjustments. Um, for the most part, they the defense plays really well in the second half of almost every game uh, of the Shane Beamer era. But at what point uh, do we need to change something in the first half to make sure that you're not falling behind so hard or, or even in games that they've won, uh, letting teams keep pace with you uh, so well before you finally turn it on? Even in like Kentucky and Texas A&M, right? You gave up a lot of rushing yards in the first half before you you finally settled in. This was the crux of what I wrote from Gainesville Saturday at GameCockSuit.com for subscribers. Um, my longer piece. Um, game was over in the first quarter. Game was over in the first half against Missouri, really. Even though they kind of fought back and made it a one-score game. You were behind the eight-ball arc. Even going back to last year, it was 28 nothing in the first quarter against Tennessee, and you were down 31 nothing in halftime against Texas A&M. I think the quote you started this, this, um, this show with, with Beamer saying we got to get it to the fourth quarter, is very apropos because... It doesn't matter if you get to the fourth quarter, if the game's over, um, you got to actually be in a chance to win the game or steal the game in the fourth quarter. Um, and I don't know if, if that, you know, first half adjustments become first quarter adjustments, become middle of the game, but it was pretty clear after Florida's second touchdown drive that whatever was happening wasn't working. And they weren't going to have, they weren't going to have time to wait till halftime to adjust that if you did that, the game was going to be over and it was. Well, I mean, in this particular instance, it seemed like Florida did exactly what we expected them to do yeah. on offense um, and what you would think that South Carolina was prepare preparing for. So I don't know what kind of adjustments they made at halftime that they weren't already prepping for coming into the game. Um, whatever it was, did end up working. I think the linebackers played a little bit better in the second half, which was a big portion too. But um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> about the the slow starts um but it seems to permeate both offense and defense in these games and it just like uh snowballs really quickly um to the point that it's not even really a game i mean i guess you had a little bit of hope coming out of halftime getting the ball down 24 6 after you had finally scored a touchdown but then like beamer said you turn the ball over three times and it's pretty much over there although i don't know if it really would have mattered either way yeah again it was, you know, it was the fumble on the screen pass to Wells, the like the ball in the flat, and Bell had the ball ripped out of his hands. And then the third one was was it Brooks who fumbled yep. after he caught a ball? Yeah. Yep. Um South Carolina didn't show any propensity to move the ball anyway. I mean, they never moved the ball. The only time they moved past the 48 yard line was the Josh Van punt return down to the 19. Those are their only snaps past the 48 the whole game after Van's punt return. Um so even if you are holding on to the ball, I'm not really sure if what you had called was working. I guess we're onto the offense now, but I'm not sure if what you had called was working anyway. Um, and against the Florida defense that's been giving up just bleeding points and yards to everybody they've played this year. Uh, that's incredibly alarming. Which you could argue that maybe Florida is starting to figure out some stuff on defense. They had a pretty good second half against Texas A&M uh, heading into this game, but I still don't think that that's... <laughs> The whole story, I mean, there were a couple of times where it felt like South Carolina could get some stuff going, especially through the air, um, and then they would shoot themselves in the foot in some way. So um, I, I don't know if other people out there listen, but there's a podcast called That SEC Podcast or The SEC Podcast or something like that. 
And I saw they tweeted um, about the Florida Con game. And ch check out these downs and distances from third down that uh, he kind of came up with. So you had 12 third downs. So you only had two that were less than six yards, third and three and third and four. And you didn't convert either one of those. And then you had third and 14, third and 17, third and 11, third and nine, third and 16, third and 28. So there were so many times. And we, again, this is something that's been kind of an ongoing issue too, uh, where they got themselves behind the chain. A couple of times they bailed themselves out with a huge, like 20 yard pass or something on that. I remember one to Josh Van. Um, but I mean, you can't be consistently <laughs> converting third and 20 or whatever. It's just, that's not a, a recipe for success. No, and I guess I guess I kind of go back to I think if you're going to bring that we should start with Marshawn Lloyd did not travel, Christian Beal Smith did not travel. Um, we were told by Shane Beamer yesterday on the teleconference that he still feels like both those guys could be ready to go for Tennessee. He says he's optimistic. We'll see. He said that about the Florida game too. Neither neither of them even got on the got on the plane, so we're off to just wait and see how the week goes. But. What's we spent about a month saying Marshawn Lloyd's the offense. Do they have a plan B? And I think we very definitively found out that unless you're playing Vanderbilt, no, there is no plan B without Marshawn Lloyd. Yeah. And we kind of hinted to this um, last week when we were like, okay, they scored some points against Vanderbilt that may like quiet people talking about the offense for a week, maybe. Um, but if they come out and have three straight bad performances down the stretch against the orange crush, um, the seat of Marcus Satterfield is going to be on fire again. And I think it's very much on fire again after this performance. Um, we talked before the podcast started, like, is there any way to even bounce back from that? Sure. Go out and <laughs> win a shootout against Tennessee and then somehow score, I don't know, 30 points against Clemson. So basically, no, there's no way to come back from this. <laughs> I... Again, I'm not saying this to someone who knows. I don't have someone in my ear telling me it's over. But, like, I kind of feel like that was the last nail on the coffin for Sat in terms of being back next year with his contract being up on December 31st and kind of everything else. Again, I, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Um, it kind of felt like that was it Saturday, at least to me. I don't know what yeah. you thought. Yeah, and as always, I, I want to emphasize, like, we're not calling for this. No, that's definitely not. not. Our, that, that's not our job. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves. And uh, it seemed like he already, at various points of the season, had a lot of fire on his seat. Um, and, yeah, that, that certainly doesn't help. I don't actually place it all on him either. Um, obviously, he can't control the three turnovers there. Um, that completely killed all that momentum. Uh, there was a, at least a couple of plays where they did exactly what we were saying as far as dealing with pressure, as far as putting like little crossing routes across the middle and Rattler just like held the ball too long. Um, I, the broadcast on several occasions was like, yeah, if you throw it as that guy's coming out of his break, he's open. If you wait till he's already open he's not open anymore. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, I mean, he's been very slow throughout the season, I think in his reads now, again, Maybe it's because the offense isn't suited to his skill set. Um, maybe he would be better served in like a one or two read offense instead of a more complicated pro style system that he's trying to run or whatever. But um, it's both of them is, is, I guess, my point. Yeah. And I guess if you it's funny you talk about reading tea leaves or whatever. I don't know what you make of this, but someone asked Shane Beamer Saturday after the game why Luke Doty didn't play any. Um, 
either as like a change or just in garbage time in 38-6. And he said that Luke Doty is at his four-game limit and they didn't want to burn a red shirt putting him in a 38-6 to game. And now you could argue that's just being sensible. Um, or you could say they're thinking long-term about Luke Doty here. Um, I guess this is the, this is way down the list of stuff to talk about from Saturday. But while we're on the quarterback play, I think it's worth mentioning that they have something in mind for I guess my question is, if Tennessee is up 40 at the end of the third quarter, is it Rattler? Is it Doty? Or is it a, one of the younger quarterbacks taking snaps in the fourth quarter Saturday? And what does that tell you about Luke Doty's redshirt status or maybe where things are going at that position going forward? I don't hate the plan if they do follow through with that, um, retaining Doty's redshirt, especially if he's made the strides that they said that he made. Well, that's what I'm season. thinking. Like if they think he actually has, and they want him around another an extra year. And then does yeah. that mean like we're getting Colton Gauthier Saturday? Is Tanner Bailey going to play well, if, if it's out of hand? I don't know if you noticed, but the interesting thing about the depth chart on Golf um, Gauthier wasn't there. Yeah, I yeah. Can see Saturday that. was was Bailey made the trip. Um, yep. So that's four star true freshman Tanner Bailey, um, who flipped from Oregon to South Carolina late in the recruiting process after Cristobal uh, went to Miami. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of a good sign if he's moved his way up the depth chart there, um, enough to get the nod unless maybe there's a medical issue or something we don't know about, but, um, I, yeah, if you're down by 40, maybe you see some Bailey, Tanner Bailey Saturday. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of I'm getting at. Cause you can still let him play without burning his red shirt right now too. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, honestly, maybe if you're thinking long-term, that's probably what you'd like to see as a South Carolina fan. Um, not that this season is like done or like put out to pasture or whatever you want to say but like ideally you hope that uh the the future is brighter than six and six or seven and five or whatever they might end up with at the end of this uh season so yeah i i don't hate that if that response was truthful yeah and there's no way to know and like you said there could be issues with other quarterbacks and you know, at that point, it kind of didn't matter anyway, obviously, who was taking the snaps at 38 to 6. But it's just something to monitor this week as we go into Tennessee. Um, and I guess I guess I kind of go back to what I put. If Marshawn Lloyd doesn't play against Tennessee, which I have no, I don't know if he's going to or not. Beamer's saying all the stuff he did before Florida, but maybe another week, a deep bruise. I don't know. How do you move the ball? What does moving the ball look like without Marshawn Lloyd? Yeah, so I know someone asked uh, in the press conference, either post game or Sunday. I can't remember where I read it, but about the other running backs, um, what what was Beamer saying about people like Rashad Amos or Lavoisier Carroll or uh, these guys that you would think might see some carries with both Marshawn Lloyd and Christian Bill Smith? He's, he just, he's pretty non-committal. He just said they're progressing well and they're on the depth chart and they're working hard and. It's kind of an answer without an answer. They they have more confidence in Jaheim Bell and Juju McDowell taking all of the carries, or like Xavier Leggett or Jalen Brooks on reverses. They feel better about right now than Carroll or Amos or Dante Miller. Um, so I think that kind of tells you what you need to know without them actually saying it. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about Bell before. I mean, he's an elite athlete. Uh, when the hole is directly there, he hits it and makes some teams play, pay, pay. He had a couple of first plays, like maybe two. Literally, and an 18-yarder run in this game, yeah. But then outside um, of that, it was 11 carries for 17 yards. Well, and something that we all talked about in the group chat as the game was going on is it just seems like he doesn't have very elite running back vision, which is fine. I mean, it's not his position. It's not a running um, back, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but 
I, I think you're missing that. And I don't know if any of those other guys that we just mentioned might be uh, a better option there. But it, it's clear that like unless the, the gap is wide open, uh, Bell isn't going to make a cutback move the way that Lloyd has uh, up until this point. Um, so, yeah, you got to hope that you get Lloyd back before the end of the season if you want establish a consistent run game i think bell should continue to get the ball um in some capacity because he has proven that when he has some space he's obviously just an elite elite athlete that can make some things happen but yeah i don't i don't he's not a running back you you can't give it to him 20 carries a game and expect him to like put together a elite running back performance no you can't and um i guess at this point that's kind of what they're they're leaning on i mean i know I guess I guess my other thing too is like healthy Lloyd. What's different Saturday? Anything? Maybe they score once. Like, does he put one drive together? Like, does it look more respectable? But I don't think it changes yeah. the outcome. It doesn't change. It certainly doesn't change what your what your defense did. Maybe you at least stymie that early game momentum that Florida had um, because yeah. the first three offensive drives. You, I think you had like seven plays or something on the first three. I think Beamer said it was 11 or 12 plays by the time it was 21, nothing Florida. Yeah. Which not not good. And 11 plays and like with the penalties and sacks and stuff, I think you had zero yards after the first, at least after the first two drives, you had zero yards. And then you had like 10 yards after the third drive. So there was the one Um, pass to Van. They got, I think it was an 18 yarder on third and 17. I believe that was their only like, positive play or more than like one or two yards those first three drives yeah i wrote down the stat as it went i don't have the exact number in front of me right now but it was something like florida had 136 yards before south carolina had one yard and then after that was the etn like 80 yard rushing touchdown so then it was like florida had 230 yards or 220 yards before south carolina had 10 yards which was yeah and again at that point you can make your adjustments. You can change things. You can say the turnovers didn't help. And the say it was all mood at that point. The game was over before the first quarter was up. And that's right. kind of what I wrote. But you're done. We're done here. So, so to answer your question, I, I like to think if Lloyd's healthy, maybe you have more than 10 yards after the first three drives. Um, so at least you're giving your defense a little bit more rest or something. But yeah, I don't know that it has that dramatic of an effect. Um, I do think if you can get him healthy this week, not that I feel like you have a ton of hope going into this week anyway, but if you can get him healthy this week, the game plan against Tennessee would have to be ball control. Um, so that's something that he could <laughs> contribute to. But again, like let's let's be honest, they're a 21-point underdog for a reason or 21-and-a-half or whatever it is. I thought that was pretty light when I saw it, to be completely honest with you, considering what Tennessee did to Missouri over the weekend. But we'll get into that Thursday. I'm not sure if ball control even works against Tennessee. Um Again, we'll talk about that Thursday, but I guess where does it go from here? Because he's still, for all the doom and gloom we're talking about, oh, you want to throw in a positive? We can talk about Kai Kroger before we move on. Yeah, uh, special teams in general. Uh, you had a yeah. punt block, too, by by Cam Smith. But Field yeah, goal Kai block, Kroger, I think. But... Uh, yeah, sorry, you're right. Field goal block. Um, and then another uh, field goal that Florida kind of botched the stat snap and the field goal block team to their credit you know wrapped them up real quick and caused that one so yeah honestly the the interesting part about those three turnovers is florida only ended up with seven points out of it which is pretty pretty incredible but obviously you burnt a lot of clock through that and killed pretty much any momentum you had 
coming out of halftime. But uh, anyway, Kai Kroger. Yeah, so last week during um, his media availability, availability there was a joke about kai kroger for heisman and uh you know i probably not but he might be the best player on this team uh, at least if i've been saying about- team mvp kai kroger for about a month now yeah. um he obviously talking about he, consistency yeah yeah and that that was so it was such a funny little like sequence there too because it's third and seven they run the ball to mcdowell he picks up one yard and we're all thinking all right they ran it on third to set up fourth Kroger comes out. We're all like, there's no way they're going to punt this ball. They were in plus territory. It was 24 nothing at that point. Napier calls a timeout, which all of us in the box, and I'm sure you at home are thinking he's doing this to say, watch for a fake, watch for a fake, watch for a fake. Kroger comes back out there. There's your fake pass punt it, or fake punt past it to carry on Joiner out of a timeout. And those are the only points South Carolina scores. Great throw by Kai. Um, good cut by to carry on Joiner to get around the, the gunner that was covering him. Or I guess he was the gunner in that spot, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and to be and he scores to, to be clear, to Karen Joyner was wide open. Yeah, um, and that was a different fake punt pass play than they hit against Georgia. Against Georgia, it was to the left side of the field. He hit to hit Bell in that one. Um, it was uh, I don't remember who it was. I think it might anyway, have been Kenyon. Yeah. Okay, you're right. That sounds right. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it was a different play call. So maybe Florida was thinking they were going to run the same one and prepared for that and didn't see Joyner kind of leaking out over to the right side. It's almost like a, a wheel, but not quite as pretty as a wheel. Um, but yeah. And then he made a nice move, scored the game's only touchdown. And you know what? Like uh, another positive, I guess we can take out of this game is to Joyner had his biggest impact of the season. Um, I think in many ways, he is not as good of a pure wide receiver as say, Amarian Brown or whoever has been taking most of his snaps throughout the season. But I also think it's just laughably bad that he hasn't been involved in the offense before the last two weeks because he's just an elite athlete. He can make plays happen uh, and you have to have packages throughout the season that get the ball in his hands in some way. And the fact that we've only seen that the last two weeks is just what are we doing? But um but yeah, so that was that was the one nice moment of the game. Scored the game's only touchdown for South Carolina, and uh, he also punted. Kai Kroger punted six times, averaged forty-five yards, put three inside the twenty, put um, one inside the five. Yeah, uh, there was one punt that like what was from his own end zone or whatever, and it looked off of his foot. Like man, that he didn't hit that one right. Uh, and it still went like 45 yards. And I was like, okay, so Kai, Kr- Kai Kroger's bad punt is st- still goes 45 yards. That's Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. And outside of that, I mean, you can say some positives about the defense in the second half, the way that they sort of responded. Uh, Debo Williams had some plays, had one and a half sacks. Um, Forced a fumble on the last drive. It was um, Tyreek Johnson and Dan Martin Scott were in on that play. Um, I guess you want to toss that in there. Sure. But like, sure. <laughs> but like we said, you you can't wait until halftime to show up, um, especially on the road, especially in an environment like that. And they paid the price. Yep. And uh, you definitely can't wait to show up on time this week against this Tennessee offense. And I guess that's kind of where we're headed now. Um, the way they score, how quickly they score. It can move. 
look at last year's game. It was 28 nothing in the first quarter. You were out of that game at, in Knoxville before the first quarter was out. Um, Tennessee's certainly capable of doing that if you're not off the bus and ready to go as soon as the game starts. Yeah, look, it's college football. And honestly, throughout the Shane Beamer era, there have been a couple of times where I feel like hit a hit a low point, kind of almost buried them. And then they've come back and had a really impressive performance the next week. So I'm not saying like all hope is lost. I'm not saying that this game isn't worth watching this weekend or anything. But, you know, don't get your hopes up for some sort of upset. Um, I think you can still have some like goals going into this week of things that you'd like to see improve, especially as you're heading into what is looking like a more winnable Clemson game than it has been in the years prior. Um, But yeah, like, let's be honest, Tennessee is probably going to win this game. Um, We'll obviously have full coverage and previews of Tennessee throughout this week on GamecockScoop.com. And then we'll be back here Thursday to talk Tennessee. Um, Any more football you want to talk or you want to talk about something positive? I think I'm good on football. (laughs) Cool. Well, last time we talked to you was on Thursday. And then there were two basketball games on Friday. The women played their first ranked matchup against Maryland at Maryland. Um, And then the men played uh, a home game against Clemson that I think we kind of talked about a little bit beforehand and really gave them no chance in. Um, I put a bet down on Clemson minus two uh, in that basketball game because it was like... uh, did you guys watch this SC State game? They gave up 77 points to SC State. Um, so uh, let's talk the women's game first, but let's talk about these two wins. Both yeah. the women and uh, men started off the season 2-0 and last week. Yeah, if you want to hit the women's game first, they won 81-56 to on the road at number 17, Maryland. Um, that was a close game for two and a half quarters. Then you have a little, let's call it a brouhaha, I guess. Um I don't know how you would describe it, but under the rim, you get it got a little bit physical. I said um, a scuffle. A scuffle. Okay. Um, Maryland got a little bit physical. And I think it was a 16 to 2 South Carolina run after that to put the game out of reach. Um, Maryland poked the bear and the bear hit back. That's kind of what I would put that as. Um, yeah. They were I, in that game. Go ahead. No, I just, I, I tell you what, that like kind of is something that is a microcosm of what I think we need to look for this season is how motivated is South Carolina who is usually the superior talent in all of these games, how motivated are they after winning a national championship last year to repeat? And it did seem like they kind of let a inferior Maryland team kind of hang around until that point. And then they're like, Oh yeah, we're South Carolina. Like you really want to get in my face right now. And then they just turned on the jets. Um, But is that going to be an ongoing thing where um, they kind of play down to their competition until they feel some sort of external motivation like that? Or can they find a way to, uh, keep that internal motivation going, even though they're at the top of the world or whatever right now. Yeah. And I think your big question there is they're going to play at Clemson Thursday. Um, I'll be there for that. Um, that shouldn't, I know Clemson started two and no, but that should be fine. And then next Sunday, or I guess this Sunday now, today's Monday, uh, number one, South Carolina at number two, Stanford out in Palo Alto. I'm obviously not going to be there for that. I'll be at Tennessee football, um, here, but that's number one versus number two. And we can get into that more on Thursday. Um, and no, losing if they lost that game in November to the number two team on the road doesn't mean like the sky is falling or they're not as good as they were last year. But that's about as good of a barometer as you're going to get at least till like crunch time and SEC play in February on where this team is. And that's coming up on well, Sunday. So looking forward to that. Well, when we talk about motivation, I feel like they're not going to have any trouble getting up shouldn't for that game. 
Um, but yeah, I'm interested in some of these more middle level opponents or whatever because Clemson. Like, you can just say Clemson for, for yeah. Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, interesting to to see because it was clear that like a mental effort gear got got flipped once Maryland yeah. kind of made exactly. the flip it. Exactly. Um, the only other takeaway from that game, uh, Aaliyah Boston. Double double, like the most ho hum double double ever. She had it before the end of the third quarter. Um, Cardoso had a really impressive, like thirteen minutes and thirteen points. Uh, so yeah, I mean they're just bigger and faster. Those big better. lineups where they where Dawn puts Boston and Cardoso on the court together. I, I wrote about that a little bit after the exhibition because she kind of tried that out. Um, I don't know what you do with that as an opponent. Just th- that that particular lineup. It's just so big. It's so tough inside. It's so many options. I mean, if you have criticisms uh, outside of Zia Cook, who also struggled shooting, uh, but she had four threes, um, you're still kind of struggling shooting from the floor. Uh, but it doesn't matter because you out rebound every team that you play two to one and get tons of second chance opportunities, which is the same thing that happened last year. So it's like, okay. Yeah, they can't shoot super well, but it just doesn't matter <laughs> usually. Yeah, it really doesn't right now. And um, I don't know what, if you know you take a big picture, a 25-point win on the road against the top 20 teams about all you can realistically ask for, even if it did wobble for the first two and a half quarters. Um, yeah. yeah, and, and then, then the men's game, yeah. uh, Chico Carter Jr. at the buzzer. Yeah, that was a really fun one to watch. Um, like I said, going into the game, I, we're talking in the group chat, whatever, after uh, South Carolina beat SC State earlier in the week, 80 to 77, and looked pretty poor in doing so, especially when Michi Johnson wasn't on the floor, which was a lot of that game because he got hurt a couple times. But um, we talked, we're like, I'm not sure they're going to beat a D1 team <laughs> this year. Um, and then they got an opportunity uh, right after that against their rival, a D1 team. Um, again, like, don't take too much away from it. Clemson's not good, but. Hey, this is a positive sign. I wasn't expecting them to no, look competitive against Power Five schools really at all this year. So, whatever uh, proof of concept Lamont Paris needs or wants, he got it on the first big game. Yeah, I thought the defense played way better. Yes. Like, way better. Uh, I don't know if that is playing up or down to your opponent and effort or whatever. I mean, you got a young team, so maybe that's part of it. You aren't as motivated for SC State as you are for Clemson. Um, I think. Michi Johnson was more healthy. He still got banged up here and there, but he stayed in the game a lot more, which we saw that he's both what makes that offense work, but he also seems to be a bit of an emotional leader between him and Hayden Brown, kind of keeping the young guys uh, settled throughout the game. And then I thought DG Jen looked great. Probably the best player on the entire floor as a freshman, as a 17-year-old. As a 17-year-old, yeah. Um, no, I guess... I think, and you have to mention too, I think the thing, I think we said this Thursday, this team has three players who can pop on any given day, you think. Gigi Jackson, um, Michi Johnson, and Hayden Brown. And if they don't, where does it come from? Well, first sign, not to say any of those three played badly or anything, but Chico Carter Jr. led the team in scoring. He had 16. Um, obviously, he had the um, the game winner in traffic there. That's kind of a no, 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 okay, take it kind of shot because it wasn't a great look. He was kind of fading away. Um, but I think yeah. getting someone other than that big three to step up and play really well and deliver in crunch time, you know, I would not have had on my bingo card of who's going to take the last shot in a tie game, Chico Carter Jr. as the one, but he did. 
Honestly, shout out to two of the the Frank holdovers. Well, three if if you count uh, Josh Gray, who I thought played very well defensively, mm-hmm. but two of the uh, Frank Martin holdovers because Jacoby Wright had a really nice game shooting the three too. And if he can carve out that niche and knock that down consistently, which he has through the first two games, I mean that's a that's a huge role that he's going to play throughout this year if he can be that guy that is just kind of standing there waiting on the dish out and can knock it down. So, um, hey, it seems like so far. Throughout the Lamont Paris era, he's getting the most out of what he's working with. And that's really all you can ask from a first year head coach in a rebuild. And let you know, on to the next one. Charleston Classic coming up. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, what do you think of that? They're going to play Colorado State. We're going to talk about it more, I guess, Thursday morning. We can do that because they're going to start Thursday afternoon, but, um, or maybe Wednesday we'll record this week, but they're going to play Colorado State first then they're going to play either Davidson or College of Davidson or College of Charleston and then there's going to be a third game against one of the four teams on the other side of the bracket. I mean, you're not going 3 and 0 there I don't think, but 2 and 1, you feel good? Even 1 and 2 if it's like competitive losses, you probably feel okay coming out of Charleston. Yeah, I think yeah, don't go over. Um yeah. definitely is Nico? Yeah, Nico Medved still a call. That's gonna be a tough game. I mean, that that's Colorado a, State. It's an NCAA tournament team last exactly. year. That's probably gonna be the toughest one they have in the week. Just starting off right there. So yeah, if we're talking like true um, measuring stick, like can South Carolina finish middle of the road in the SEC and push for a bubble bid, which is. <laughs> Which is very unlikely, right? But if if that's going to happen, like maybe Clemson's better than we think. Who knows? Uh, if that's going to happen, we'll learn a lot in that game. But really, it's more like, yeah, beat the teams that are that have less talent than you. College of Charleston should have less talent than them. Davidson should have less talent than them. Um, and yeah, then maybe we can start talking about then finishing like 10th in the SEC, which would still be a win when you're picked unanimous, unanimously to pick. Sure. That finish 14th. So. I'm interested to see how that goes kind of just in general with, you know, rotations with minutes, you're playing three games in four days in Charleston. That's Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Um, those three games are um, just kind of see how Lamont works that with a young team, a lot of minutes. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's better than we thought it was going to be. And we you know we're through two out of 30, whatever games. So pace yourselves, but Right now, you've got to win over Clemson. You've got to win over SC State. You're two and zero against in-state opponents. You beat your rival. Um, I don't think you really complain right now. We'll see how it goes in Charleston this week. Yeah, and honestly, wins against Clemson in the major sports have been hard to come by yeah. for like a decade. So just enjoy that you got one. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest questions throughout this basketball season is the depth. There's not much. Everyone needs to stay healthy. Um, and yeah, you're just going to like tire out down the stretch because everyone's playing so many, like you're, you're starting six or seven or playing so many minutes. Um, but yeah, Hey, it seems like they can compete at least against middle of the road teams. That's. And PJ Hall played for Clemson. I think that's worth mentioning too. That Mm -hmm. was, that was a full strength Clemson. PJ Hall is their best player. He's not just their best. He's, I think he was, was he second or third team all ACC point is PJ Hall is very good. He led them in scoring. You beat a full strength Clemson, not just Clemson. Definitely. So, but yeah, so we will also have some previews on those games coming up the weekend. Obviously, on Saturday, when, or no, they, they good job, Charleston Classic. You don't play Saturday? No, because I true? think it's football. They're getting out of the way of football, I would guess. They're playing Thursday, well, that, Friday, Sunday as those three games. 
Perfect. So yeah, we will have coverage for all three of those games and the two women's games, which is Clemson on Thursday, Thursday and Stanford on Sunday. So uh, keep an eye out for that, along with all of our coverage for Tennessee coming up this week. Um, you know, I've seen the message board turn a little salty <laughs> uh, the past few nights. Let's, uh, you know, maybe take a step back. Drink some water. Book. Yeah, drink some water. Read a good book. Um, it's early. Like, I, I don't think that there are any long standing. Um, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Like a lot of people are like, Shane Beamer doesn't have the guts to uh, fire Marcus Siderfield, blah, blah, blah. We don't know that yet. Like, <laughs> it was reasonable to retain him after last year. You had plenty of built-in excuses that I think were valid with the quarterback rotation. You had plenty of hope. Um, one of the reasons that Rattler signed with South Carolina was because Satterfield was here. Um, and so, yeah, I don't fault him for t- retaining him last year. If things continue to look bad over the last two games of the regular season this year, and then he quote unquote, doesn't have the guts to do what he needs to get done, then fine. We'll talk about it then. Um, but I feel like it's way too early to say that. He's not going to fire him midseason. We already talked about that. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot to be happy about in the first two years, too, as far as recruiting momentum. Um, you've out, uh, you, you've ended some streaks against Kentucky and Texas AM. You've last year, definitely both years, actually, you've beat the Vegas. Um, Win loss total. And there's a bowl they, game. Yeah, exactly. So. Whatever happens against Tennessee and Clemson, there's a game in December somewhere. I saw a Vegas bowl projection yesterday. We're still holding out hope. So yeah, I'm not saying like be satisfied right now with six wins, uh, or that that should be what the University of South Carolina football team aspires to be. But also keep the perspective. I I do think that you probably have the right guy as a head coach. Um, and if you don't, it's way too early to, to decide that at this point. It's November 14th in year two. There's two games left. There's three games left this football season. You know, there's two, obviously two big ones the next two Saturdays, and then another one next month. And you just go from there. That's that's kind of all you can do. It's I understand Saturday was probably about as bad as it possibly could have been realistically. And this Saturday is kind of shaping up that way too, at least on paper. Um, and then you're going to have to see. All right, so be sure to follow us on GamecockScoop.com for some more review of the Florida game, kind of breaking down the film. Those of you that are masochists and want to check out. And then we'll have some preview of Tennessee coming up this week. And like I said, basketball season is getting into swing. Both the men's and women's, women's team have some early momentum, some early positive things to talk about. So we will have some previews for all of that. And uh, we'll be back here Thursday to talk Tennessee. Until then, see ya.